0: be up for that kingdom that's where the disciples are in chapter 9 where we are now and uh, you know in the first couple of verses he's sending them out he's prepping them uh, to do his work his kingdom work he keeps calling it he called together the 12 and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal and he said to them take nothing for your journey no staff no bag no bread no money do not have even two tunics and whatever house you enter stay there and from there depart and wherever they do not receive you well then you leave that town and shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them and they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere and we say man sign me up for that right That's the Christianity I want. That's the the life that wins in Jesus, the the church that wins in Jesus, the country that wins in Jesus. Sign me up for the powerful, the winning team I want in. Not so fast. Not so fast. What we're going to see this morning is we're in the lineage of losers in a kingdom full of contrasts and there is great cost and i don't i mean i don't think i i know i personally have not scratched the surface of the cost of following jesus and i, I don't think many of us here in the united states so maybe even will for a lifetime but maybe so i Uh, But Jesus, in this, he's going to highlight the the kingdom full of contrast, and that we're a man, we're part of this lineage of losers, and he's going to have these two sobering moments, these texts of the cost of following him. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at the kingdom of contrast, uh, made up of a lineage of losers, and then we're going to look at these two sobering uh, discussions that Jesus has uh, with all of us, though he's just talking with uh, just his disciples, A kingdom of contrast and a lineage of losers. Notice what happens next. Jesus sends out his disciples. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. And Herod said, John, I beheaded who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see Jesus. Uh, Notice this list, uh, this lineage of uh, losers. Uh, You know, you got the prophets, a very eclectic group uh, speaking to the kings uh, of Israel uh, of old and, and God's people in the past and and you know they're doing things like eating scrolls, and uh, they're out in the wilderness. They're kind of the weirdos, right? That are uh, saying, "Hey, God says live this way," and they live these really rough lives. And uh, Elijah is highlighted here in the list that where Herod is talking about of these folks who have been a part of God's kingdom. And, and Elijah, uh, everyone's kind of waiting for him to return. Uh, and, and then you got you know John the Baptist. Uh, We're going to get into some of his story here in a second. And and then you've got, uh, you know, but he ends up, well, as the text says, beheaded, dead. And then you've got Jesus. uh, You know, he's outcast by the elite. He is uh, put on trial. He's crucified, dead, buried. Then you've got his disciples. Some of them had, you know, awesome lives as the rich tax collectors or some were just in a steady job as fishermen, but they start following Jesus and, man, ooh. Spirals downhill. (laughs) They're crucified upside down. They're thrown off the temple. They're stoned. They're martyred. They're cast out uh, to an island. I mean, it it goes poorly for them. And then you've got us. And Jesus says, hey, welcome to the crowd. Welcome to the team. Sign me up. Not so fast. Let's focus in on John the Baptist for a second. John the Baptist. We get a story through the book of Luke. In, in Luke chapter 1, he's announced, right, this is going to be the forerunner to Jesus. He's going to say, the Savior's come, and, and it looks like it's going to go awesome for him. And then in chapter 3, we see him doing his work. Uh, he is out in the wilderness eating, you know, uh, uh, honey and, and kind of living with long hair as a Nazarene, and he's, he's kind of just a weirdo. <laughs> he's saying, repent, and, and some are repenting, some are not, and and then in chapter 7, we see a bit more of his story in, in John chapter or in Luke chapter 7. And, and you, you see him in verse 18 and following. He, he's in prison now under Herod. We'll get a more of those stories here in a second. And he's in prison, you know, the, the forerunner to Jesus, the, the one that made the right-hand man uh, to God himself and in prison, heading towards execution. And he hears all the stories, of the healings, and all this amazing stuff that's going on in the kingdom of God. And, and, and he's in prison, and he sends word out to Jesus. He's like, uh, are you the one we're waiting for? It says in verse 18 and 19 of chapter 7, are, are you, are, wait, are you sure you're the Messiah? Are you sure you're the Christ? you Are sure sure you're the chosen one? Because I'm here in prison, heading towards being beheaded, And Jesus, uh, who's out there healing, uh, uh, having an amazing old time, in a sense, sends word back to John, tell them what you've seen. Tell them people are being healed, the blind see, the lame are walking. Yeah, the kingdom of God is arriving. And then John loses his head. And Jesus, as he sends out uh, his 12, as they're going to, get into the kingdom of God work following Jesus himself well Jesus he just can't stop talking about his own death and so it, there's this moment now in the middle of chapter 9 where Jesus is you know—he's talking about hey who do, who do people say that I am you know Herod's questioning is just a bit ominous Herod's like I beheaded John so and I'd like to meet Jesus too <laughs> and Jesus is talking to his closest friends, in verse 18, happened, he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, man, some say John the Baptist, back from the dead, others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets of old is risen, and and then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you're the Christ, the chosen one, Messiah of God. He answers uh, correctly, Uh, But in his mind, when he says, you're the Christ, he's not thinking Christ crucified. So Jesus goes right into this explanation of who he is as the Christ. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, get this. The son of man, it's a term of power out of Daniel, the one who's going to return and make all things right, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised again. The Son of Man is going to suffer, be rejected, and be killed. The cross will come before the crown. The crown uh, will be a crown of thorns before it is a crown of glory. This will be the Christ crucified before he returns in glory. Do you want to sign up for that? Must die, Jesus says. He must die. This is the way of Jesus. Uh, he, he keeps telling them these things. Uh, because this takes a little bit of time to sink in, right? <laughs> this isn't what they, we are expecting. Uh, verses 43 and following in the same chapter, as they're going along their way, still in their journey, but while they were all marveling at everything Jesus is doing, he's healing all these people, he's just fed 5,000. Jesus said to his disciples, I love this, because it's like he's talking right to us. Let these words sink into your ears. It's like when I take one of my kids and I'm like, Are you listening to me? And so I grab them by the head, tenderly grab them by the head. Let this sink into your little ears. Let this sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Jesus keeps saying, I am going to die. It's not expected. Uh, These oxymorons, right? Jumbo shrimp, right? A crown of thorns. The Christ crucified. They're expecting uh, the Messiah, the Christ, to come and wipe out Rome and say, It's time to party like the kingdom is here. But Jesus, in the way he lives, he lives with an upside-down ethic. This is kind of some of Keller's teaching. I love the way he packages the kingdom of God. Uh, The way Jesus lives is with this upside-down ethic uh, that we uh, use our power, we use all we have to serve and to pour ourselves out in loving others. Jesus all the way to the cross lives this ethic out, giving himself away for others, the way of the kingdom, the way of our King. An upside-down ethic where we are last, we're the bottom, we're the trampled on. The way Jesus dies, at least this inside-out morality that, that you don't, I don't, become righteous by our own effort, our own works, our own goodness by stacking up our moral achievement. Instead, we are gifted it by Christ and what he has done. We're made pure and righteous An inside-out morality, made good because of the work of the king. And then in his resurrection, we see this new backward-forward perspective to live our lives in the life of the king. Uh, The the king who is resurrected will then one day return at the end of time, and we live everything with a perspective for that day in mind that eternity is captured in every moment now because we're waiting for that day when eternity starts. We're living for that day when eternity starts. We can expend ourselves in an upside-down ethic. We can live in the peace and the freedom and the joy of an inside-out morality gifted by our King. And we can orient our lives with a a backwards-forward perspective, knowing He will return. The Son of Man is coming back. But that's a kingdom of contrast today. A little bit of summary of this kingdom of contrast. Uh, When is this kingdom come? Well, already and not yet. Uh, Jesus says he brings the kingdom of God in a special way when he comes and reigns on the earth, right? Uh, In one sense, the king, God, uh, the father, the son, and the spirit, uh, rules over his uh, whole creation from the very beginning. But then we see in a special way the son, who is fully God and fully man, comes and he reigns and he brings restoration of the broken kingdom, God's world, that's been broken by sin and rebellion. And we see these foretastes of a, of a day that will come in the end of time. When every tear will be wiped away, every brokenness will be mended, and, and peace is going to reign and rule. But when the king comes back. So we're in this moment now where uh, the king has come, and, and we can see foretastes of his kingdom that is already, but, but it's not yet fully, right? We still die of cancer. We still harm each other in the way we live for ourselves rather than for our king. We're still broken. It's already not yet. Well, what what is the kingdom? It's a king and a kingdom, right? A king, Jesus, reigning over us and all of creation His kingdom, a people and a place, right? God ruling in and through us. How does it come? It doesn't come by might or power in one sense, but through the power of the gospel, sharing the good news of the king. Uh, Jesus, all through the gospel of Luke, calls this the, the, the message of the kingdom or the gospel of the kingdom or proclaim the kingdom of God. And then he'll interchangeably call it the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And who is in the kingdom? Those who choose to follow the king, our king, Jesus. So, do you want to go with him? Do you want to follow him? Do I want, do I really want to go with him? Do I really want to follow him? Uh, To his disciples and and to those along the way, he gives these two sobering passages of uh, picking up our cross daily to follow him and then the cost of following him. So here's uh, the first passage. This is in Luke chapter nine, verses uh, 23 and following. Jesus says, and he said to them, said to all, right, Uh, all, but it's just his disciples there. I think Luke is using that word all there to say to you and to me, to everyone who's reading this gospel. Here's what he says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. If anyone would uh, come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny himself. Do uh, uh, you want something to drink? No, I don't. Deny. I, I don't want that. I don't want me, right? This is uh, this decision to say, I don't want my life to be about me. It's to deny myself, to say, I'm not going to call the shots in my life. I'm not going to live for myself. I, I rather will live for you, Jesus, to deny myself to live for him, to take up my cross daily. I used to say, okay, these are kind of the sacrifices, the persecutions I'm going to face as a Christian. I uh, I was a Jesus follower in college, and uh, I was on the lacrosse team. Uh, There's no more pagan group than the lacrosse team. (laughs) And uh, I was there uh, to play lacrosse. I wanted to play lacrosse excellently and well. I I worked hard. I lifted hard to do so. Uh, But I was there to share the good news of who Jesus is. And so uh, on the lacrosse team, they called me Ned Flanders. I don't know, it just shows how old I am. The Simpsons, anybody? <laughs> Ned Flanders was in The Simpsons and he was kind of the token Christian on there everybody made fun of. And so, uh, you know, when I turned 21, they said, are you gonna have a beer now? And I said, yeah, I'm gonna go have a beer with you. So I had a beer and they're gonna, they said, are you gonna have another one? I said, uh, I'm fine. And they're like, what Ned Flanders? You know i don't think that's kind of even scratching the surface of what jesus is talking about here (laughs) taking up a cross daily a member at our church is the head of a large organization uh, icc and they put out this uh, publication about the persecuted church and so uh, if you get to know jeff Sorry, Jeff. If you're here, I didn't tell you I was going to do this. There's Jeff. He's <laughs> <laughs> a good picture. Heads <laughs> up, a huge organization uh, for the persecuted church. And if you if you get a chance to talk with Jeff, uh, and you start kind of asking him, "Hey, you know, how was this week?" Uh, Every week he hears stories and walks intimately with those who are dying and are having family members either tortured or, or killed uh, for their faith in, in Jesus. And it, it's not long. So, he, just a very funny guy, and um, it's it's because he knows the depth, the pain of the church uh, throughout the world. Uh, it, So he he knows these guys and these gals and their kids. And uh, this is just one page uh, out of the journal they put out this past month. The Christian church that was bombed in Sudan. Or four killed in the Philippines church that was bombed uh, this December. Four people killed and injured 54 others at a Catholic mass in the southernmost region of the Philippines. A bomb exploded during the mass held at a local university gymnasium. Islamic State terrorists quickly took responsibility for this terrible act, claiming it as their own. I, I, I circled a lot of, uh, they're heartbreaking stories. Or a preacher shot an Arizona street corner just in November. The cost of carrying your cross, but it's really interesting. Jesus says to all of us, carrying your cross daily. I think he even has something more in mind than these sacrifices. A daily picking up of our cross, every piece of who I am, every minute of my day, devoted to him daily. And not just in the dying, but in the living, every uh, piece of who I am, every thought, every action, every inaction, every word given to him, live for him. At work, in my home, with my neighbors, my co-workers, every minute of the day. Follow me, he then says. Pick up that cross daily and follow me. Where we live, how we live, what we do, where we go, why we live. All his. Now he's going to give us, because this is a high calling, and he's going to give us three reasons why. Here's why. He, he begins each one, a uh, for whoever, right? Explanatory uh, gar for whoever, for what does it profit, for whoever. So he gives these uh, explanations or reasons why we ought to do this. Uh, verse 24, the first reason. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus' sake, will save it. Uh, The first reason is you have got so much to gain. (laughs) If you lose your life for my sake, you, you will gain it. It will be all yours. You will save it. There is so much to gain in following me, Jesus. He says the first reason is you gain everything. Second reason, verse 25, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself or his soul or his life? Second reason is that you have so much to lose. You have so much to lose if you don't follow him. Lose yourself now, even if you give yourself to great causes that are not Christ himself. And certainly for all of eternity, gone and done. The last one kind of makes me shudder. For whoever is ashamed of me, Jesus, in my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Whoever is ashamed of me, in my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father. He uses that same term again, Son of Man. Uh, now he's often using it as saying the son of man is going to suffer, it's going to die, right? The son of man uh, comes on a donkey into Jerusalem to be uh, crucified and killed, but then that, that son of man will return in his glory on a war horse to bring judgment. And he says, if you're ashamed of me, if you've lived your life for other things, if you have given yourself to any other saviors, or uh, if, if you have uh, cowered back in following me, man, I will be ashamed of you," he says. Whew. "The one we're ashamed of becomes our judge." Wow. I've got a, uh, I've got a, a, a playlist on Spotify um, called Gray Country. I like country. I'm sorry. And I, like, I really like the gray country. I like the stuff that's darker, you know? So Johnny Cash. Uh, uh, and, and, and there's this one album, American Four, and uh, Folsom Prison's good too, but the, uh, this one, uh, Johnny Cash does this cover of a Nine Inch Nails song. Uh, it's Hurt. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna sing it for you this morning. <laughs> I hurt myself today to see if I still feel a focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. And then, it, I mean, it kind of builds and it's really good. If you've seen the video, uh, he starts panning all of his Grammys and all, everything he's won. he's really old when he's singing this, and it's all kind of covered in dust and cobwebs, everything he's earned, all that he's done. And then he sings, as only Johnny Cash could, uh, redoing Nine Inch Nails. And he sings, You could have it all, my empire of dirt. Uh, Matt Damon just did this uh, interview after he won an Oscar, and talking about the first Oscar he won uh, way back with uh, Goodwill Hunting. And, uh, you know, in it, he basically says, Man, what if that's all my life was for and I've heard other people to get there man that That'd be really sad. That'd be really hollow if I just kind of lived for this piece of metal and... Or Remind me of, you know tom brady went when he won his like 45th super bowl He did this interview where he's like man, but I still got I i'm still missing something in here He literally says that on national television You can gain it all And in so doing, lose it all. And Jesus says, do not do that. Instead, taste the kingdom. Some of you will taste it even before you die, right? You'll know, wow, he is worth living for. There is life, there's peace, there's purpose, that he is it. A Sobering passage uh, number two. Uh, Jesus at this point, you know, he said to his disciples, they let this sink in. To your ears, I'm going to die, Jesus says. And then there's this pivot in the book of Luke where he says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He, he knows why he has come. He knows why he must be here, which is to live a perfect life in our place, to die a death in our place, and to be resurrected. So he sets his face to Jerusalem where he is going to go and be on trial and then die for us in our place. And along the way, you know, you got this really funny, we'll come back to this, this instance. It's kind of funny because Jesus kind of corrects his disciples. They're going through Samaria. He gets rejected there. right? It's getting really tangible for him. this rejection. And, and uh, John and James are like, you want us to pray lightning bolts and thunder down on them for rejecting us? Jesus, you can almost say, oh, my gosh, let it sink into your ears. That's not the way, you know. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you. I will follow you. And Jesus is going to lay out three kind of, hey, count the cost moments. Uh, because something or someone is worth what you will pay for it, right? Uh, maybe you've gone through this approval, uh, appraisal process for a home that you're trying to sell, right? Uh, we, we've we gone through this process with other buildings we're looking to purchase, right? Uh, it's it's, it's a praise for this amount. But then the realtor will always say, but it's only worth what somebody's going to pay for it. And Jesus, when he's looking at his disciples, he says, is it going to be worth the cost? For you? Am I, Jesus, going to be worth the cost for you? Am I who you treasure, Jesus says? Am I your greatest value see the first and the most major task of the messiah is to get people to stop looking for one the first and the greatest task of the messiah is to stop people from looking for one that's fred craddock he's a great preacher and theologian and jesus is saying hey look you're looking for comfort, you're looking for treasure, you're looking for validation or embrace in all these other places. It's so worth it to get rid of those and find it in me, Jesus says. I am the Savior, Jesus says. So here's the cost of following Him. He's going to lay out uh, three costs to pay because He is worthy of it. Now, the first is they're going along. Uh, He says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, You know, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It won't be comfortable. You won't have a place or a pillow to put your head down on at night. If you choose to follow Jesus, uh, you are choosing to give up your comfort, the uh, salvation, the idol, the savior of your comfort, uh, getting your kids in the right school or living in the right neighborhood or, or whatever it might be for you or for me that says, this is what matters most to me. Jesus says, will you give that up for eternal comfort and embrace, for a comfort today that only Christ can give? How is comfort keeping you from following him this morning? Uh, the next guy it says to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, you're like, dang, man, soften up, Jesus. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You know, I got this uh, uh, responsibility in my life to go back and take care of this. Or, or maybe it's, I, man, I value him most. I treasure him, my father, most. Uh, commentators have said, it may not even be that the father has passed away yet. This could be uh, this guy is saying, hey, I just want to go back and live in this primary relationship with my father until he passed away, and I can take care of my responsibilities with him. And Jesus says, will I be your primary treasure? Will I be your primary obligation? How even is your job or your obligations, uh, your primary treasures, how are they keeping you from following Jesus? Or are you following him there into the midst of it all? And then the last guy comes up and he says to another, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I've got good friends. I want to keep them and say goodbye. And and, and Jesus says, then you're not for me. The problem with this kind of call to the cost of discipleship is it it gets very tangible. You know, Jesus heads through Samaria and they reject him there. He makes his way into Jerusalem. He's put on trial there. And then he's crucified. Actually. So when you say you want to follow Jesus and then your spouse doesn't believe, whew, that gets really challenging. How do I keep loving and following Jesus and keep loving and serving and caring for my spouse? What does that look like? Uh, It doesn't look like leaving your spouse. It looks like how do I figure out loving, serving, caring for this person and these kids in this situation? What's that look like? It's gut-wrenching. It's hard. It's it's a cost. Or at work, you go into work and you're following Jesus there, but your boss doesn't care. (laughs) Or you're in a relationship and that relationship wants more from you than Jesus says to give. If your Christianity hasn't cost you something, you might just be going to church. I just want to say I'm in the same boat with you. I'm in the same boat with you. And I'm so glad that we have a Savior who paid the cost for us. Uh, Who knows that often at at these different turns in our life, we've said, I'm going to live for me. I'm going to live for comfort. I'm going to live for this other treasure. I'm going to live for this other relationship. And he says, I paid the cost for you. I went to the cross for you. I lived the perfect life. I, I followed the Father all the way there with perfect obedience. I paid it all. I resurrected to give you newness of life, to make you a son or a daughter, to never reject you. That he paid the cost. And he's so patient. I mean, the disciples, whew, they... Right? And then what do they do? In, in the middle of this chapter, they're, they start arguing about who's going to be the greatest I think I'm going to be the greatest. And the, I'm pretty sure I'm awesome, is what they start arguing about. Uh, they're going to the cross, and as they get into Samaria, uh, all these people reject Jesus, just what like Jesus said is going to happen. They're like, Do you want us to bring the power down right now and burn them fools? Jesus is like, That's not the way of the cross. He's so patient with us. Let this sink into our ears. He is so worth it. He's so worth it. When you take that step of obedience and follow him into that reconciliation process, you say, All right, I'm going to trust you with this. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there, but I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to live this. out, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. Man, wait for the burdens to be lifted and the joy to come. When you trust Him with your finances, you say, "I've been clinging to this for security, but I'm going to trust You with generous giving. I'm going to give every uh, penny of what I've got for Your kingdom works." And you say, "Oh my gosh, uh, watch Him free you of the chains of security that you've been seeking in your finances, and and find it in Him." And you say, "Wow, now that's life. There's no, uh, there's nothing like what a friend." or a family member comes to embrace Jesus, when they get to know him, see how wonderfully our he is, and, and, and hand their life to him, and, and that moment takes place, and they, and they they start following him, and you say, wow, man, this is worth I cannot believe it. Or when he strips everything away, and you're sitting there like, I don't know, I, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know. And you're in the depths of everything you say, all I, all I have is you. All I have is you. And he is so worth it then. He gave his whole life for us. Can you taste the depth of his love for you? When he says, come, we can trust him. Come, it'll be worth it, he says. We can trust him. Jesus the beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 4 he's tempted and Satan says I'm going to give you I'll give you everything if you just worship me and Jesus says that's not the way. And then Jesus does meet Herod in chapter 23. And Herod and Pilate over time through that process hand him over to be crucified. And he hangs on a cross for us. And Isaiah the prophet puts it this way, and, and, and let this sink in, let, would we let this sink into our ears as we close and then we meditate on the depth of the love of our Savior for us? Surely, Jesus has borne our griefs. He carried your sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was pierced for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities. Upon Jesus was the chastisement that brought you and me peace. By his wounds, we are healed. You know, we all, like sheep, we've gone astray. Each of us turned, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Jesus was oppressed. Jesus was afflicted. And yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. As we head into communion, again, if you're able... And you're willing, would you kneel in reflection on the love of Christ, who is worthy of it all, whose body was broken for our sins, whose blood was spilled for our rebellion. That He died for your apathy in following Him. He died for my apathy, He died for my lack of love, my lack of courage. My unfaithfulness in light of his great faithfulness. He died for it. Oh, he loves us so much. He's so worth it. Reflect on who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And then turn your eyes to those barriers in your life where you're not following him. And ask yourself why. Dwell on the fact that he is worth it even there to trust and obey. Come before Him now, contemplating His love for you, and then committing to following Him, no matter what the cost. And when you're ready, take and eat.